Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. For several weeks now, I have uh, felt and, and consequently shared at uh, the New Year's Eve service um, that God had impressed upon me for this year, 2020, we were to live every moment for his glory. We should strive to become that kind of people that every moment we live for the glory of the Lord. Um, admittedly, I join you in understanding that we must rise in our witness regarding this area. I'm sad to say that uh, my own flesh still garners more attention at times than necessary and has, has at those times embarrassed me, uh, knowing that I, uh, knowing who I am. I don't know about you, but um, knowing that I represent the Lord Jesus Christ, I've embarrassed myself at times with my own actions. Anybody out there ever have that in your life? So about, about a half of you? How about the other half of you? Have you ever embarrassed the Lord by your actions? The other half of you now, raise your hands. At the recent football game, which the NFL football game, which you folks so wonderfully blessed Pastor Amy and I with, we were able to go to that football game, it was amazing. What a joy. But I found myself following the game, leaving the stadium now, for those of you who have no idea what I'm now talking about, I went to see the Dallas Cowboys play the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles won that game handily. The Dallas Cowboys embarrassed me on the field. By now, you might realize I am a Dallas fan. Consequently, in leaving the stable, stadium, in humility, we had lost. I was wearing my Dallas cowboy hat and uh, stuff like that. And, but on the way out, um, yeah, one of the Philly, Philly fans... wanted me to punch him in the face. He became very obnoxious. He was mostly drunk. And I had to put my hands in my pocket to keep me from doing things that I would not, I would be very upset that I had done. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I'm, at, I'm telling you this story. I'm embarrassed. 
for the way I felt in that moment. I'm embarrassed because I wasn't trying to intent to protect the integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was only thinking about me and the way I felt in that moment. And that was not godly. And, and so I share that story with you. Perhaps these kinds of things, perhaps there have been times in your life, maybe even recently, when your flesh has shown itself greater than the spirit within you. Anybody else out there like that? So I, I trust that all of us are always very much interested in shining our light for the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that we call ourselves Christians should mean that we understand we are representing Christ in a fallen world. Come on, shout amen. This includes our homes. This includes everywhere we go. So today my hope is to get you to willingly offer yourself to God this year in a way that allows Him to shape your life to best represent Him. And that means that for all of us there will be some necessary construction in order to begin to live every moment for his glory. So you know how when you go into hospitals, last time I was in the uh, airport in Philadelphia, they have those signs that say, uh, pardon us, pardon the mess, we're under construction. So say to your neighbor right now, pardon the mess, I'm under construction. Go ahead, do it, do it, do it. Say to the other, pardon the mess. I am under construction. So we're going to talk about learning to live for Christ today. You have your notes, you can follow along uh, with me now. The passage of Scripture, Philippians 1.21, puts it this way. For me to... For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. King James says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Philippi wrote those words. For me, for to me, the new living says, means living for Christ. Living for Christ. We, didn't always, we did not always live to Christ, did we? Am I talking to anybody out there? Yeah, that started when the Holy Spirit convinced you of your sin and, and, and by grace you were brought to, to see the dying Savior paying the penalty for your guilt. Aren't you glad for that day when, when God by His Holy Spirit revealed to you the work of Jesus Christ and the value of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? From the moment of our new birth, we begin to live for Christ. The moment we ask Jesus, that's certainly how it ought to be, that, that we receive Christ. Doesn't matter if it takes place at an altar. Doesn't matter if it takes place in a home. Doesn't matter if you're in the mall or in a playground. And you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. From that moment, you are born 
again. Use that kind of language in the church, but it's because it's true. You're born again. You're made new. You become a new creature. Jesus should become, from that moment, the one thing in our life that makes us willing to lay down all else. He so completely wins our love that our heart only beats for him. I want you to be the kind of people that are so in love with Jesus that your heart only beats for him. To his glory we should live and in defense of his gospel we would die. Can you say that like Paul? Are you living like Jesus is all that really matters? I'm going to ask some really tough questions today of you. Remember I said you're under construction? A mess is around construction zones. It's messy around construction. If someone were really peering into your life, really looking into your life, uh, uh, would, would they clearly see you're a true follower of Christ? Oh, let me get down to where you young people live. If someone were to look into all of the avenues on your phone, would they know you're living for Christ? If they were to follow you on that computer, sir, your laptop, your personal laptop, who nobody else has a passcode for, would they see Jesus there? Oh, I'm asking the hard questions. We're going to live for Jesus or not. I'm going to ask you to eat, drink, and sleep Jesus today. In 2020, I want us to, to live differently. Paul, you see, summarily recognized our weaknesses, but envisioned us being raised to a proper reflection of Christ. That's how Paul envisioned us. He, he recognized we were weak. He knows that. He he spends a lot of time in the Romans in particular, in chapter 8, 7 and 8 of Romans. You, you, hear, you hear him talk about the battle between the spirit and the flesh. Things I would do, I don't. The things I would not do, I do. That battle with the flesh. But look at what he says in chapter 8, verse 29. Look at this word. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So look at your neighbor right now and say, you can look like Jesus. I apologize for those of you. I saw some of you put coats on, but a half a minute ago, I was watching a dozen people waving fans. So I don't, we're just messed up today. I'm one of the people that need the fan. And so somebody responded in the back back there. I didn't ask them. These are just good ushers or deacons, somebody paying attention. Thank you. So I'm saying thanks 
Apologize for those of you, you probably wore a coat this morning, even though you didn't need it today. Welcome to spring 2020. So Paul was a real man living in a real world, knowing real people. And he knew the struggle of the church and the people in Rome. He's writing to a church. And so he says God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. He wants us to live like his son. Jesus is the pattern for our life and the model after which we would sculptor our character. Jesus, he's the pattern. And if we're going to sculpture our character, it's after the image of Christ. He taught us some things. Paul's words mean more than most men think. They, they imply that his aim, that the aim of Paul's life was Christ. The aim of Paul's life was Christ. Let me talk to you about aim for a moment. All right, so most of you, many of you at least, know that I'm a hunter. I've hunted with every, well, many kinds of weapons, <laughs> not every kind. <laughs> but when you're, when you're about to take aim, your focus, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. If you, you're interested in archery, in archery, shooting a bow and arrow, for those of you who don't, aren't making that connection, they, you're literally taught to aim at a spot on an animal. Not the animal. Not just the shoulder. You're actually taught to aim. They will tell you to aim at a hair. Not that I can pick out a hair from 20 yards, but, but that's how important it is. And so that becomes your singular focal point. There's nothing else around but that one spot that you're aiming at. And I want you to relate that now to Paul's words. When he makes the statement, to live is Christ. His only aim is to live for Christ. Everything else fades. That's a hard road to travel. You admit that? That's a hard road to travel. Paul, uh, I mean, it's a sacrificial road. And we're not real good at sacrificing ourselves. We're not. We're not. That whole idea Jesus taught about turning the other cheek? Come on. You know better, right? Turn the other cheek. That's not what you're thinking in those moments, is it? Y'all can, are y'all going to be honest with me this morning? Talk to this preacher. Or are you just going to be sit there like you're better than me? <laughs> Paul fully understood what this meant and willingly adopted this as a lifestyle. In fact, that's why he uses the words, dying is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. He said it that way because Paul knew that as he walked with Christ, it was suffering for him. 
Do you know that Paul actually believed he was, of all the apostles, Paul actually believed and taught that he felt he would die like Jesus. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to hang on a cross if that meant salvation for somebody. That was Paul. Can you say as a professing Christian that you live up to this idea? Really? Can you honestly say that for you to live is Christ? Well, let me bring it down to where you live. Your business. Are you doing it for Jesus? Are you doing it for Christ? In your work, are you more interested in self-promotion than that people see Jesus? That's your place of work. What are people seeing when they see you? Are you saying it? You saying it? They're seeing all of this right here. Is that your thing? Are they really seeing all of this or are they really seeing Jesus? Because some of you need to tell your face that they're seeing Jesus. When you got a bad attitude at work, they're not seeing Jesus. If your work as unto the Lord, if you're working as unto the Lord, you know what? I've said it and I'll continue to say it as long as I have breath that believers in Christ Jesus, genuine Christians, should be the best people on the job. Uh, a, a supervisor or, or your boss, uh, nobody, they shouldn't have to look over their shoulder and wonder if you were working with that five minutes that they weren't looking at you. Amen. They shouldn't have to wonder. They shouldn't have to wonder if you're taking something home that doesn't belong to you, that belongs to the business. They shouldn't have. You should be the best people, the most reliable, the people they can truly count on should be believers. Now that said, if, even if your job drives you up the wall, anybody out there haven't done, if your boss is here, don't raise your hand, but if they're not here... Your job drives you up the wall. Raise your hand. I want you to do it. Be honest with me. You just, if you could do any. We have a place for people like you. I'm sure I do drive her up the wall on occasion, but. If, even if. It's like that. Work as unto the Lord. Here's, here's why that matters. It's, it's the same thing as tithing. The principle of tithing comes right in on this. If you do your job as unto the Lord, even if you hate your job, you do it as unto the Lord. So I'm working, Lord, because I want to please you. Then what happens is God says, I'll take that and it becomes my responsibility. When you give it to the Lord, you work as unto the Lord, just like your tithes. When you actually give your tithes, it becomes God's responsibility to take care of your finances. Because his promise in his word is that you do your part, he will always do his part. God is faithful, he can only be faithful. 
So this principle, though, applies also to your place of work. I don't know why I'm going down this, but apparently some of you need to hear this today. If you will work as unto the Lord, it becomes God's responsibility then to give you peace, satisfaction, and joy because you're not working for a supervisor. You're not working for that company. You're working to Him. And so your life becomes worship. Even at work. And when you truly submit yourself to God on that level, then what you do pleases Him. And He is the only one you really need to please. If you're pleasing God, you can bet your supervisor will love your work. And then that goes to every other area now that surrounds your work life. Then God has to bring in your satisfaction. Then God has to bring you joy. He even has to provide for you. You gave me this job. I don't like it, Lord, but I'm going to serve you while I'm here. And you realize that you may be in your place of work for one reason only, to tell that obnoxious pain-in-the-neck coworker about Jesus. Because God's far more concerned about that person's eternal well-being than, than you are if you have to spend an hour picking up little doodles and putting them right there. That's, God's way more concerned about their eternal well-being. So I'm wondering if you can live your life for Jesus. Dedicate yourself to serving the Lord. If you profess to live for Christ, by the way, that goes for you students in school. I know y'all got some teachers that you don't like. I know it. I know it. There are some people that, you, yeah, classes you'd rather not be in. And even students you'd rather not be with. I remember a kid... Man, this goes all the way back to elementary school. I remember a kid. I don't know why he did it. I just, he did it. He always licked his hands. I can still remember his name. He licked his hands, and they stunk like spit. They smelled like spit. You may be, be, young people, you may have a student friend like that, hopefully not licking their hands. <laughs> this was way before hand sanitizer and all that, that stuff, folks. So God may have you there, though, to show them Jesus. Just don't touch their hands. See, if you profess to live for Christ, how can you live for another object or objective without committing a spiritual adultery? I got you cooled off laughing before that statement because I want you to read this statement with me. I want you to hear it. If you profess to live for Christ, how can you live for another object or objective without committing a spiritual adultery. That's harsh. But that's what we're doing. 
If there's some other objective, it's, an, a, type, it's a type of adultery. But I don't want you to take a negative view on all of this because that's the way we humans tend to do. We don't, don't take a pharisaical view of this concept. I want you to take a, a, a New Testament, Jesus-taught view of this subject. A pharisaical view would threaten this concept based on trying to force your mind to change. The Pharisees viewed every action through a law-based system, striving for a type of perfection. And, and they can't help it. I mean, there's a reason they did this that way. It's because they, when, when the law came down, Moses comes off the mountain, brings the Ten Commandments eventually, and, and, but beyond that, God starts giving Moses all of these details for the temple. And, and, you know, you read the Old Testament books, you see some of that detail. That part that bores you, and you're thinking, why do I care what color the, the, the curtain is? Why do I care how long that rod was? Or how, how tall the, this was? And all of that. And what kind of skin was going to be used in this place? Wood in that place. But God was very detailed in what he gave Moses. And, and so the Pharisees take all of that and they, they impose this thought process on God and consequently, and they were told they weren't to eat stuff that we, we, we commonly have, oysters, shrimp, stuff like that. They were told not to eat that kind of stuff. If it didn't have a cloven hoof, don't eat it. They didn't eat pork. Told not to. Don't eat pork. They were told those kinds of things because any of those things that didn't have the cloven hoof, they, didn't, they were told not to eat. And so they were given strict, and, and, and the Pharisees took it to the whole next level. Wash your hands here. Don't wash them there. Don't go there. Don't eat on this day. Don't eat that way. All of, just, just list after list. They had over 600 laws on just living. Don't turn this into a pharisaical view. Living for Jesus should be reflecting his glory in a, it, it, its love-based action. Love-based action. For this to work, you need to allow Holy Spirit to fashion you in the image of Christ based on your real love for him. Listen, I... Nobody has to make me do things for my wife because I love her. I, I, I want her pleased. I want her happy. I want her to have joy. And so I, she, she's not on the other side of this going, you better do, you better get, you better go. Well, maybe some of you wives are that way. And need to work on that area. She's, she, does, she doesn't operate that way because she knows that doesn't work well with me. It's just not how things operate well with me. There are far better ways to get things accomplished. Love-based things will get a whole lot more done and with right attitudes. This is how we need to live for Jesus because we love him. As opposed to this being an obstacle too difficult to overcome, understand this is an opportunity 
to grow. It's an opportunity to grow. You do know this, right? As according to the scriptures, when you come to Christ, you're a new creature. You become a new creature or a new person, I'll say it that way. You become a new person. He begins the regenerative process. Here it is in the scripture. Look at it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. A new life has begun. You're not the same old person. From that moment that you ask Jesus to come into your heart, you're not that same old person. The Holy Spirit does a work, and, and he doesn't leave you there just to hang uh, for yourself on your lonesome. If you truly submit yourself to him, he'll help you walk this out. You know how I said just a moment ago, these actions are love-based actions. When I relate that, again, to my relationship with my wife. By the way, I'm always married. Wherever I go, I'm not ever not married. So I operate from that capacity. I love my wife so there's no other loves that get in her path. You get this concept? I want you to get this concept because I want you to understand this concept in the Scriptures. This is love-based action. Nobody has to force me to love her. I just love her. And if she wants something from me, she knows how to get it without forcing my hand. Right? Are you hearing me? All of you adults... No, there are a multitude of connections here, but if she wants something from me, if she's sweet enough, she'll get anything she wants. So, I want you to see this passage of Scripture because God doesn't leave you hanging here. And I, I use that illustration, and I, I'm glad you're laughing because it is humorous, but uh, God doesn't leave you hanging as if you can't do this. Look at what the Scripture says here. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. All right? You see, freedom. Love constitutes freedom here, not law. The love constitutes freedom. So where the Spirit of the Lord is in you now, he lives in you now, you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see, can see, and reflect the glory of the Lord. See it? You can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. What does that mean? That means that the Lord is constantly at work within you, making your image reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Say it again, I'm under construction. I'm being made in the image of Jesus. 
So when you receive Christ as Savior, you can both see and reflect His glory, according to that scripture. You can both see and reflect His glory. You are, hear me when I say it, you are the manifest glory of Christ here on earth. You know what that means? This is a little scary. When people are looking at you, they're looking at Jesus. Now, I don't twist this up, but I want you to catch it. When they're looking at you, they're looking at Jesus. Are you reflecting Jesus? When people look at you, they're looking at Christ in you. How will they see and glorify Christ if you don't reflect his image? You're reflecting an image all the time. Yeah. What does that image look like? You ever interact with somebody that maybe isn't your, your, they're a casual acquaintance or you've not known them and their response to you didn't fit what you thought you were trying to convey? You ever have that happen? You, you thought you were trying to convey something to them uh, and, and, and their response to it didn't match up with what you thought you were trying to convey and how you were trying to convey it? And then you realize for a moment, and maybe somebody, maybe a friend told you, do you realize what your face looked like when you said that? <laughs> maybe, that's, maybe that's never happened to you. Maybe you didn't look like you thought you looked when you said that. And so what you said came across in a way that you never intended it to come across because of the way you looked. So I'm asking you, are you reflecting the image of Christ Jesus? How will they glorify Christ if you don't reflect his image? Let me bring it down to a conclusion. Because I want us all to learn how to live for his glory. Every moment for his glory. Every moment. Every moment. Even when you're driving your car. Living for his glory. Yeah, even when you're driving your car. Living for his glory. Look at what John 12, 21 says. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Now, this group of people had heard of Jesus. But now they wanted to see Jesus. And this is physical and actual. And I'm not using it in the same way it comes, it, it, it was... Uh, presented in the scriptures. This is literal, in other words. They came from one area to another area. They had heard about Jesus. Now they wanted to actually see him with their face. But I'm saying it to you this way. I want to see Jesus in you. Sir. At your workplace, sir, I want to see Jesus. Ma'am. Even in your house, 
Ma'am, even at the grocery store, I, I, I want to see Jesus. You know, you know, at the grocery store when they have to call for a manager because something's goofy and you're pressed for time and you got to get home at a certain time and you've got stuff you've got to tend to. I, we would, ma'am, we would see Jesus. Young person, even in class, when everybody else is talking about somebody that is goofy, that is a pain in the neck. Young person, we would see Jesus. The people that surround you in your life need Jesus. God put you there to show them. God put you right where you are so that you would show Jesus to everyone around you. Holy Spirit's primary role in coming to earth and into your life is to glorify Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's primary role, to make it so that you can glorify Jesus. God dwells in you by His Spirit in order that you may bring people face to face with Jesus. Some of you, the only Jesus those people will ever see is in you. That's why it's critical in 2020 that we learn how to live every moment for His glory. But it's, I know it's a tall order, but it's a, it can be reached. It's a tall order. I understand that. We're all human. I'm telling you about some of my battles. Just talked about one of my battles recently. It's a real, real life. This is real life. But I'm asking you, and that's my challenge to this church and this body of believers in 2020, to live every moment for His glory. If we all do this, hear me when I say it, we will be the greatest impact church in the Lehigh Valley. If we do this. I mean, really, if we grab hold of this, we will be the greatest impact church in the Lehigh Valley. You need to resubmit yourself to this goal of becoming a pure reflection of the glory of Christ here on earth. Would you stand to your feet? I have to say this. We're going to deal with two issues first today. The, the first issue is, is primary at this point in the service. If there's a chance you're here this, today and, and not in a right relationship with Christ, is there, if there's a chance that you've come into this service and you know things are not good between you and the Lord, if you have a question mark on if Jesus were to rapture his church and take his church out of here, that you would go with him. Or if worse, you were to meet an unfortunate accident on this day without warning, are you certain that you would spend eternity in heaven? Jesus said these, these words. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Hear it again. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. 
Those are words he uttered. So if that's the case, there's only one way, and it's Jesus. So if things are not right between you and Jesus, I wonder if you'd bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody look around for this brief moment. If you're here and you don't know Jesus or things are not right between you and the Lord and there's a question mark on whether or not you'd go to heaven, you want to change that today, lift your hand right where you're at. Lift it up high. Say, I need to get things right with Jesus today. God bless you. God bless you. Wow, thank you. You can put your hands down, I'm, but, I, but I'm wondering if there's anyone else. Come on, you want to erase that question mark. I'm not asking you to do you go to church, and I'm not asking you if you think you're a good person. Being a good person ain't getting you into heaven. Jesus said those words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He's the doorway, he's the path, and he's the only path. So again, I'll say it one last time. If you're here and there's a question mark on whether or not you would go to heaven, but you want to change that today and you haven't already raised your hand, lift it now. Lift it now. God bless you. So here's what we're going to do. Put your hands down. It's easy to raise your hand in that kind of a circumstance and situation. It's it's an amazing thing to admit, but every one of us that are standing here right now did it. I did it. My wife did it. We came down to an altar and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you raised your hand, there were many of you, that, several of you that raised your hand today. Would you come out of your seat and come down to this altar today? Come on. Come on. Don't hesitate. Thank you. God bless you, brother. somebody raised their hand and uh, you have a child with you come on up with your child let's get this right we got good people that'll help you with your child if you can do that come on all we're going to do. All of you that are standing here right now, God bless you. We're, their folks are cheering you on because they've done this. They've walked down. They've asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart. And so that's all we're going to do right now. We're going to pray. When I'm done praying, I'm going to ask you to go with that couple that's standing right over there. They're just going to take you into that room and they're going to get a little information from you and help you to know what happens next. What do you need to do next? Because today is a start. It's like we're telling you how to get on a path. They're going to tell you what you do to stay on the path, okay? So let's pray this prayer. You pray it with me. Say it out loud. Mean it from your own heart. That's the only way it's going to matter. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood. 
you did that for me. And right now, Lord, I ask you to cleanse me from my sins. Wash them all away. I thank you for all of this. And I thank you that that grave could not hold you. But you came out of that grave alive and well, proving your power over death and hell. You did that for me. And because you did that, I now live forever. I'm yours. From this moment forward, I'm yours. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the Lehigh Valley but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.